Unpack Your Beauty, Episode 3. I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp, and I'm here to help you find the most powerful beauty biohacks, nutrition principles, lifestyle habits, and spiritual practices for optimal well-being. My mission is to inspire you to discover and embrace your own innate powers of longevity, self-optimization, and radiant vitality. This show has been brought to you by Shizandu, a line of the highest quality, wild-crafted, and organic products. Shizandu is dedicated to using only the purest ingredients, and their DHA is one of the most essential supplements to include in your diet. Derived from wild strain microalgae, Shizandu DHA supports mental focus, cognitive function, and memory, and helps to balance hormones. Its powerful anti-aging properties include protecting neurons and nerve cells, supporting energy levels, and beautifying the skin. All of this biohacking magic without the heavy metals, hexanes, and other solvents in fish oil. Check out Shizandu products at shizandu.com and use discount code DORA, D-O-R-A, for 12% off your order. Today's featured guest is Malcolm Saunders. Malcolm Saunders' mission is to deeply connect people to their food. Malcolm is an intuitive chef, speaker, and superfood expert who has worked in the field of food and nutrition for close to 20 years. He is the owner and creative visionary of The Light Cellar and the author of Elixir Life, Modern Nutrition Meets Ancient Herbal Wisdom. His seminars and workshops have inspired thousands of individuals to recreate their relationship to food and reconnect to their intuition. I began following Malcolm's work when I discovered his expertise as an alchemist and his passion for creating raw chocolate at his store, The Light Cellar. His passion for superfoods and super herbs was so inspiring, especially because his creations stem from a place of service and a desire to teach and inspire others to live and eat in harmony with themselves and the planet we live on. Here are some of the questions we answered during this episode. What are better, plant foods or animal foods? What is intelligent eating? How can science help us eat right for our bodies? How does culture influence our eating choices? How can our ancestors help us know what to eat? How can you move from eating processed foods to whole foods? How can you reset your body? What are the four essential food groups? Is a plant-based diet essential for optimal health? Can you get vitamin B12 from other sources besides animal foods? What can medicinal mushrooms do for our health, and are they an essential food group? What do fermented foods do for beauty and for our longevity? What are Malcolm's favorite beauty and anti-aging biohacks? I hope you enjoy this show. Without further ado, Malcolm Saunders. Hi, Malcolm. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Awesome. Um, So you are the founder of one of the premier superfood stores in North America, and it's called Light Cellar. Um, can you talk a little bit about your store and what inspired you to create it? All right, absolutely. Yeah, so we're, I'm based out of Calgary, Alberta. I was born and raised here. This is, for those of you in the States, like just imagine Houston, right? It, it's kind of like that's the sister city. Uh, it's known for oil and beef. And <laughs> I've been leaving ever since I could. Uh, so as soon as I was done high school, I was out of here. Grass is always greener elsewhere. And that's an important part of a young person's journey, right? Is, is venturing out away from home, uh, getting out into the, the, the big wide world and 
exploring what's out there. And my journey took me a number of places uh, all around the world. In fact, uh, I had a focus at that time of yoga and meditation. Um, and it was a journey to try and, you know, change myself because I, I didn't feel empowered that I could really change the world. I didn't like the direction it was going. Um, to me, it was kind of money marketing and capitalism where everything wrong with the world. Uh, at the time, I'd become a vegetarian as it's kind of one step that I, I, I thought I could have influence on. And by making that choice, um, that's what really brought me into the world of food, nutrition, health. Because up until that point, like I really didn't have any awareness around food and nutrition. I literally ate whatever tasted good, whatever was quick to make and was super easy. So that ended up uh, looking things like, um, you know, Pop-Tarts, uh, microwave pizza, as well as, you know, breakfast cereals. Love those, you know, Fruit Loops, Lucky Charms. And so if that's the basis of your diet, if you're eating meat and potatoes and you go just to potatoes, uh, I can tell you right now, things won't go so well. Yeah. <laughs> For so sure. I took took me a number of years to try and figure it out how to properly nourish myself. Um, you know, long story short, we may or may not get into this today, but it, it was close to 15 years that I was vegetarian, was vegan, raw vegan, went all down these rabbit holes, uh, came out the other side knowing that uh, I'm I'm an omnivore, meant to not be a vegetarian, but have a, have a broader diet. And through all those years, learned so much about food, nutrition, how to nourish oneself um, and the light cellar was born out of that because in all my journeys and travels I was kept coming back to Calgary visiting family and as I was getting into food and nutrition deeper and deeper nothing was happening in Calgary um, you couldn't you couldn't find uh, the support you couldn't find the foods that type of thing and I've been living in the states where you guys have so much more access to uh, really good quality uh, again depending on where you are it's all really uh, city dependent. And uh, I had made a lot of connections, uh, especially in kind of the, the raw food world, which I was deeply immersed in at that time, was getting into superfoods, getting into herbs. And in Calgary, it didn't exist. So I wanted to be able to bring that, what I call the how and the why of food and nutrition. So teaching classes, empowering people with that wisdom, as well as uh, the resources to be able to do it, you know, quality. A lot of what's missing in our, in our society today is, is a diversity of, you know, really good nutrient dense foods. And my biggest takeaway from, you know, those 15 years of being vegetarian and, and where I'm at now is it's not so much the food, you know, plants versus animals, right? Mm -hmm. You can watch the documentaries, read the books where it's kind of this picture is painted. Well, plant foods are good, animal foods are bad. And it's not that. In fact, what's more important is the system that it comes from. So plant foods that are grown industrial, agriculture, you know, clear cutting, monocropping, you know, not good for the environment, not good for our personal health, uh, communities, so on and so forth. Uh, just the same as, you know, factory farming of, of animals. Terrible. You know, like we need to move away from that. Um, so where do we go with both plants and animals? It's coming back to this kind of relocalization to heirloom, right? This idea of, of heirloom. And you, that's why we go to farmer's markets. We want that like 
funky tomato with all the colors and stripes in it because it tastes so good. There's so much more integrity on the genetic level, nutrient level, and whether we have the science to tell us or not, we can feel that, and that's what's steering our choices now. So I'm a big proponent of what I call intuitive eating, uh, getting out of dietary dogma and moving into a space of following one's gut more than nutrition trends because, man, it can get confusing out there. Uh, there's so much, so many conflicting views and information, and um, we need to kind of cut through all that, come back to our bodies, come back to what I call intelligent eating, and uh, just breaking it down uh, to a simplistic level uh, to help move us forward in, in a healthful way. Oh, well, that's awesome. I love that because I think that that's like a huge factor in um, the way a lot of people eat. Uh, I know, especially growing up as a, you know, a woman, you know, you're taught like this diet and that diet. And, um, and so I think you're right. A lot of people are realizing that it has to do with um, the way that something is grown and the way the animal is raised, because it's not only the nutrients in it, but it's also all the other components of the growing, you know, who picked your strawberries or, you know, who um, raised the animal that you're putting inside of your body. So I think that's really cool. Um, can you talk a little bit more about intuitive eating? So what does that mean? Yeah, for sure. And so let's let's even back it up. Let's go to I've got an acronym for intelligent eating. Uh, it's it's a tool that one can apply, which incorporates intuitive eating. Uh, so of course, you know, intelligence. Uh, there's two different types. There's that kind of rational and re reason, uh, which we can look to science, and there's so much that can help us guide us there. But then there's this, also this element of, of intuition, um, two different ways of knowing that uh, we as humans have uh, versus maybe an animal, it's more instinctual. Right. So instincts would lie on that intuitive side, but we have our mental capacities, faculties that can help us ration and reason. So it's about to me, it's about bringing those two together uh, into kind of that whole intelligence. So I developed what I call a food scope. So the acronym is S-C-O-P-E. And S stands for science. Right. And, and it's not, this is not like brilliantly groundbreaking stuff, but when we break it down this way, it can be really helpful because especially when we can get confused. Um, so science can obviously help us make good food choices, right? Science will tell us what is in a food and how those properties or nutrients may affect us. Um, so, you know, what are the nutrients in broccoli? What are the nutrients in spirulina? And then what are the effects, right? The, the anti-inflammatory properties of turmeric. Okay, studies have shown X, Y, and Z. Science is incredibly helpful, super valuable for that. Um, and we can learn a lot from, from science. Now, where there can be a little bit of a shadow side is sometimes we don't get the full picture. Sometimes we just get headlines thrown at us or... A funded uh, study, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. Or, or who were they studying? Yeah. Right. Like just just because a study said this, like, well, what 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 else was going on in these people's lives? Um, you know, who were they studying? What were their age? What were their weight? What was their like, you know, lifestyle? All these mm -hmm. other factors. Um, so it's one of those like put it in perspective, uh, right? If, which many of us do, but day to day, it's it's easy to kind of get caught up in the science. Um, so, anyways, it's good. It has its place. Uh, the next would be C, which is culture. 
and culture contains a valuable uh, information for us because literally it's what got us here, right? Cultures in the past have successfully reproduced, uh, adapted to their environment, worked with what they had, and have provided, you know, like a, a or encoded certain health information. And this is all the way from, again, what are the foods good for, but also how to prepare foods. Um, so this is one of our challenges, again, in our modern society, this kind of like industrialization of our society. Uh, we've kind of rejected a lot of uh, the past and culture or with certain advents, like let's even take refrigeration. We're like, oh, OK, great. We got refrigeration. We don't need to ferment anymore because we right. don't need to pre preserve in that way. Yeah. And, you know, whatever the reasons are, there's been this kind of big cut, this big divide of a lot of cultural wisdom um, from all cultures all around the world. And we're, we're seeing the, the effects of that, not heeding that cultural wisdom. Now, again, shadow side is just because culture always did it doesn't mean it's always true. Um, but absolutely, uh, there's so much to be gained from there. And we can learn a lot by looking to the past and seeing how people did prepare their foods, what foods they were eating, because uh, it got us to where we're at today, where, again, we're a little bit lost. And, you know, put in the little caveat there, just because culture did it in the past automatically doesn't mean it's good now. I mean, I've seen a lot of people, uh, you know, get onto like, you know, traditional diets and paleo and this yeah. kind of thing. And they're just going to Costco, you know, stacking <laughs> up on the meat, you know, yes. eating this massive breakfast and then sitting down for their day. Well, we got to put it in context that, you know, maybe your ancestors, they, they lived a very different lifestyle, mm -hmm. right? Maybe they were more active. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, in our modern society, we have different challenges, different stressors where, again, different diet, so on and so forth, uh, can and should be applied. But, you know, a friend of mine, Dr. Terry Willard, he said, you know, if you ever get confused about what to eat, go back to what your ancestors ate, right? It's, it is really actually a good kind of surefire way to kind of get yourself back on track and then you can move forward there. So we have science, we have culture, and then O in the scope and acronym would be uh, opinions, opinions of others. And that, again, it's a double-edged sword. You know, we've been, uh, we are very influenced by the opinions of others. Marketing knows that for sure. And they, you know, put the faces of, uh, you know, all kinds of celebrities and people that we know and recognize and trust. And, you know, I remember as a kid, I was like, all right, Wayne Gretzky's on the cereal box. Like, that's the one I want. <laughs> I get uh, it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we can be influenced and, and it's not a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. it, it can be very influential, um, the opinions of others, right? There's been so many uh, advancements I've been able to make because someone I know and trusted that was on a similar path that was like, all right, yeah, just do this. Get into spring water. Try this mushroom out. And mm -hmm. it's just fast-tracked me to go, okay, yeah, awesome. I didn't right. have to take all that time uh, figuring it out for myself. Mm -hmm. Um where we can go wrong is if we don't necessarily truly consider where's that opinion coming from. Uh, case in point, I was super into raw foods for a number of years and a lot of great success people were feeling amazing and initially in that first few years there's all this enthusiasm and you know suddenly people are experts and you know they're sharing their opinions and what i realized after i took a step back is like okay wait a minute you know like most of these people are like male they're in their mid-30s you know like th that might be working for them within this short window um but you know i lived in a raw food community for uh, almost two years and you know it was a very different story for every individual, especially, especially mothers, especially children. Yeah, um, yeah. 
yeah, that it, that diet did not work for them. It was mm -hmm. uh, not didn't provide enough nutrition. Mm -hmm. uh, so, anyways, put it into context, and then ultimately it all comes down to uh, personal experience, which is the P and E of the scope. And then this is where we're getting into that intuitive eating, right? So, what works for you? In context of thinking about science, thinking about culture, thinking about opinions, I mean, science can say all at once about, let's say, spirulina, and we can look to the past. Okay, yeah, cultures have eaten it. You know, people rave about it on the internet. Here's all these testimonials. But then you come to it, and it like it makes you tired, or you don't digest it well, or whatever it is. Ultimately, you know, your body knows, and that's what we need to go with is is that personal experience. So, getting into that intuitive eating. Um, so listening to the signs and the signals of, of the body as it speaks to us, because we've largely ignored that. I mean, especially growing up, I mean, there's, I'm sure we all heard phrases like, you know, eat what's on your plate. I don't care if you're full. Right. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we haven't, uh, been, been trained or uh, developed that true listening uh, to our intuitive voice, we've, you know, given out our, our kind of our power and our thought to how we should eat to whether it's uh, government, uh, through the food guides, or it's industry, or and the doctor. And yeah, we give away our bodies a lot. <laughs> I think, you know, here, we yeah. don't know our body, but you know, our body. So it's, it is totally, I think, almost like a fostering of the disconnect of the body. You know, you're told by commercials and you're told by, you know, the news and by doctors what you should be doing. So there really isn't much of an encouragement to listen to your own body, no, you know? sure. Yeah. And, and honestly, like if you had stopped me at 16 and said, hey, Malcolm, just, just eat what you like, you know, it would have been <laughs> okay, sure. I'll keep on eating donuts and pizza yeah. and this and that. Totally, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so there, there is a bit of a journey there. Like yeah. if you're on, you know, a lot of processed foods and mm -hmm. kind of the standard American diet or even just trying to move off of that mm -hmm. and somewhere on the gradient, uh, we need to come back to whole foods, natural foods and reset the body because mm -hmm. in a lot of our foods, we have additives and chemicals um, that will, will trick the mind, right? A lot of these foods have been engineered to yeah. be, you know, high salt or high sugar or high fat to kind of mess with the signals that the body is giving us. And the um, hormones too yeah, yeah right which tell your body all kinds of crazy stuff <laughs> you know yeah. eat more so, sugar so yeah totally there's always, there's always a time and a place for you know uh, a nutritionist or a doctor or a herbalist or, or some sort of uh, kind of you know experienced person to, to help guide you through those initial stages okay let's balance out the hormones let's mm -hmm. balance your blood sugar let's do a little bit, bit of detox so you can get back to that place mm -hmm. where you can listen to your body and rely on it uh, accurately you know, and it's a, it's a great place to be. And I think it's where the kind of the future of nutrition is going. Again, this, there's been too many kind of fad diets, this and that all thrown out. And, uh, you know, for someone like myself and a lot of others, we're, we're, we're done with that. And uh, my friend Yaro, he, uh, he has this great term. He now calls himself as a flexitarian. And uh, just, you know, again, letting, letting go of rules and just listening to the body. Do you think that, because... Um, you know, I, I was a raw vegan for a long time, too, so I can relate to your whole entire story about, you know, yeah. and you get really excited, and it is a, it's a passionate community, and there's a lot of beauty behind that passion. Um, but, you know, also the weather, and there's all kinds of different, I think, phases you go through in life. Do you feel like that changes? Like, you know, you don't have kind of one 
diet that's meant for you? Um, do you think that it kind of, sometimes you eat a little more meat and sometimes you kind of go off of it. Does that kind of resonate with you? Yeah, it absolutely does. I really love what you're saying there. It's like, you know, what you're eating now is going to change, you know, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade. It's absolutely that. Uh, some friends of mine, uh, they are you know, like avid hunters and, and in the most like beautiful, like sincere way. And as I was coming out of kind of my vegetarian journey, I got to connect with them and, and have this experience of, of going out hunting and just you know, which a lot of us were, were so con disconnected from where our food comes from. Mm -hmm. So it was a real honor to be able to, to be able to experience it in that way. And what's interesting is for them is like, as they're kind of getting into their later years, they're in their mid fifties, even though like that's their hobby, it's their passion. And it's been like their main staple food source. They're like, you know what? We just don't find we eat as much meat anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So just their bodies are shifting and you're absolutely right. Depending on the stage of life you're in, like, you know, uh, for pregnancy and again this comes back to cultural wisdom every culture knew okay you know preconception during conception post-birth delivery there was special foods uh, and a diet required for the optimal uh, health of both mother and child and you know we have our certain guidelines in kind of our modern culture but it doesn't nearly go as much or as in-depth as the wisdom that a lot of other cultures had absolutely um, so do you have any methods that people can practice to reconnect with their body? Because I think a lot of people are so disconnected from their one intuition and to their body. So what are some ways that somebody might be able to reconnect with those things? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the first step is just acknowledging that, you know, we are intuitive uh, and especially when it comes to diet, right? This idea of intuition, a lot of times we say, you know, it comes from the heart or more often it's it's the gut. So, yes. you know, we talk about intuition and eating, you know, it's your gut speaking and, and that ability. So I think one of the biggest hurdles, though, is is mindfulness around eating. Uh, a lot of people, and I've experienced this myself with kind of... Um, you know, when you when you're trying to force a diet, or uh, there's patterns that you're trying to you know break, uh, foods you're trying not to eat. Very oftentimes, we will slip up. We'll we'll go back to having X, Y, and Z. Uh, and very often, you know, there's a lot of guilt associated with that. Where, you know, the experience is like, okay, I'm just gonna like eat this and 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 try not to kind of you know feel it or experience it. So. If you have in your in your mind like, oh, you know, X food is bad, but you're still kind of feeling that you want to eat it, you're craving it, you're going to have it, whatever the case is, like actually literally truly like be with that food, like eat it and, and enjoy it mindfully and allow yourself and your body to really give you that feedback. Okay, how does this pizza feel or how does, you know, whatever it is uh, for someone versus just kind of cramming it down and then it's a whole mix of emotions. It's just like, all right, you know, this is what's going to come up. I'm going to fully be present with this experience and then you can feel like, oh, okay, that really didn't make me feel good. Or I was like, you know what? Hey, I'm okay. You know, like I'm all, I'm all good. Mm -hmm. And it's tuning into the body that way. So the foods that you may have a kind of a stigma with, but also just generally day to day, I think uh, it's, it's one of my biggest challenges is, is that mindfulness in, in eating just to be really present. And, you know, the fortunately it's, it's such a, 
a delicious way to to bring mindfulness into your day. I mean, it's about life is about experiencing every moment you can, and food is a great opportunity. That's uh, quite a treasure to to be able to do that. I know our culture isn't wired for wired for it. I wasn't raised in that way, so I always have to kind of remind myself, okay, slow down, take a moment, mm-hmm. and that's that's a big bridge because as you are really truly experiencing the food, uh, your body can respond. Uh, appropriately and and that's a big way to kind of tune in absolutely um you did say so it's about the gut and you did mention fermenting and fermentation um so can you talk a little bit about fermentation and why fermented foods might help us be more intuitive yeah, absolutely. So when I was going through nutrition school, you know, way back in the day, uh, some friends of mine, they were going to herbal school. They were kind of going to become herbalists. And at that time, they, there was this buzzword about candida. And I'm sure, you know, yourself and many people listening have uh, heard about this is the idea of, you know, the bad bacteria where we can get that imbalance of uh, microbiome, uh, gut dysbiosis. There's different terminologies for it. And it's these kind of bad bacteria that can, you know, feed off of sugar. They can often induce cravings. So there's, there's, so there's always this joke amongst the herbalists of like, well, if they, if they got a sugar craving, they'd be like, oh, that's my candida talking, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. So sometimes you can be, you know, influenced by, you know, your microbiome and, and uh, yeah, what you're feeding. And those, those guys will, will feed off of uh, bad sugar where we want to have, you know, a nice balance. We want to have, you know, probably good bacteria, these probiotics. Uh, it's kind of the buzzword word right now. And where we've, again, gone wrong as a culture, as a society, is this industrialization of our food system, where we've lost a lot of these kind of, you know, more ancient, traditional methods of food preparation, which absolutely included fermented foods. And the process of fermentation had a practicality, like preservation. We didn't have refrigeration. We didn't have shipping. So if we grew cabbages, we had to, you know, harvest them, ferment them, and keep them all year round, whereas now we kind of have a choice. Um, But I think we're realizing that the consequences of those choices. So the industrialization, a lot of those food preservation methods got replaced by, you know, canning, pasteurizing, um, you know, you name it. Preservatives, yeah. Yeah, preservatives. And we've really been missing out on this very key essential process. Uh, I like – I. I call it a food group actually is, is fermented foods. It's the bacterial food group. Um, if we want to take just a quick little detour, I've got my, uh, four food groups that yeah, I teach, absolutely. you know, di- <laughs> different than, uh, what you'll get from a kind of governmental food guide. Uh, so those would be plants, animals, bacteria, and fungi. Mm. Now, Plants, we're all familiar with that. We're all comfortable with the idea of plants and the plant kingdom is diverse, right? Fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, um, sea vegetables. I mean, you, flowers, you name it. goes on and on and on. Um, incredibly wonderful for not only macronutrients like protein, vitamins, minerals, um, but also micronutrients. And this whole category of what we call phytonutrients, so literally plant nutrients. And these are the kinds of things that you'll, you'll hear in the news, right? Like new chemical, found broccoli, no one to cure cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, science is continuing to dive deep into, okay, what's going on in our plants? Like what's in turmeric that makes it so amazing? Um, you know, funny thing about science is, is it's wonderful. Like I love nutrition science. We'll continue to explore that. Uh, whether we know it or not, those, the plants still work, the herbs still work if we take them. Um, so 
it's a good, it's a fun, ever unfolding field, but uh, good whole natural foods. And what we want is we're looking at each of these kingdoms is, is a diversity. So for me, I grew up in most North Americans, very little diversity, you know, apples, oranges, bananas, potatoes, you know, the variety of what we have is, is not so diverse compared to how our ancestors ate. Um, so continue to explore the diversity of the plant kingdom and for me and maybe yourself as well, you know, going vegetarian, going vegan, going raw vegan, really force like a, a deep exploration of that kingdom yeah. to bring in really true uh, nutrients that that kingdom has to offer. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll suggest is, is a good little way to two kind of hacks to get into that are, you know, eating the rainbow. So diversity of colors all the way from your Roy G. Biv to your whites to browns to blacks. Every color represents a different nutrient. And that nutrient heals and nourishes us in different ways that the other colors can't, right? Orange, we know, is our, our, our carotenoids. Green is our chlorophyll. So every single color has its own unique uh, properties. So eating the rainbow as well as uh, considering... Uh, herbs and herbalism. I mentioned that I studied nutrition. I had friends studying herbs. And I was, you know, at the time, I was like, okay, well, I've made my choice. I've got my path. I'm going to be a nutritionist. And I, I kind of closed myself off to the world of herbs. And I'm now, you know, doing the opposite, really opening myself up to the world of herbs, things like nettles, dandelion, holy basil. And that's kind of coming to the forefront of our society where we have this amazing opportunity to be able to explore herbal traditions from all around the world. And you don't need to know everything about Chinese herbs at all, right? You just need to take one or two. And why mm -hmm. not take some of the best ones that their system offers, like reishi mushroom, like shizandra berry, um, or maybe you're more drawn to, you know, Ayurveda. And I always encourage people, you know, explore those different kind of world traditions uh, to whatever depth you want, but also begin to explore what's around you in your local ecosystem and how did the traditional and the native people that live there, uh, how did they navigate that? What was their wisdom and their understanding? Because we have so much to learn from our local geography so that's a great way to continue to open up into the, the healing and nourishing world of plants i love that next, that's awesome yeah next would be uh animals so the animal kingdom and and what's great about this food guide is it doesn't tell you you know what to eat how much to eat you know of anything it's it's really broad um so you know animal foods it doesn't say eat beef it just says Within the animal kingdom, there are key nutrients that can't be had from any other kingdom. So we can look at the spectrum all the way from insects to birds to mammals, um, their meat, their milk, their eggs, whatever it is. Um, there's key nutrients, things like protein, you know, vitamin B12, K2, uh, vitamin A, D, so on and so forth, essential fatty acids like EPA, DHCA. And again, I've been down those paths and seen a lot of people try to get certain nutrients. Okay, I can get my B12 from elsewhere. It's really tough. Um, and I've seen more people not succeed uh, than I have succeed. And, and even looking at kind of vegetarian uh, or vegan cultures, there there's actually no vegan culture. There's been no successful... Really? Um, yeah, multi-generation oh, vegan culture. 
it, there's vegetarian, you have the Indians, but they have a high reliance on dairy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always some input that's required from the animal kingdom. Um, e even if it's not the food, it's definitely even in the growing of the food, even to grow your plants, you need that animal input. And uh, so anyways, that might be a little bit too big and deep and philosophical. Yeah, I know. I, I want to talk about the Weston price study with the cats. I'm sure you've heard of that study, but we won't get into that because we don't have enough time for that. But yeah, if you know, if you're listening, look up the, the study because it's so interesting. And it's all about, you know, these cats and the, the raw milk versus um, and, and raw meat. And I don't know, it's a it's a really cool thing. But anyways, I digress. Um, yeah. But with animal foods, um, do you have kind of a idea of what is a good amount to aim for like per week would you want do you say like meat every day or is it you know once a week or does it kind of really vary person to person yeah, it really just depends person to person um like i actually do know quite a, a number of women that um have done well you know for decades just on vegetarian you know they'll still do a little bit of eggs or fermented dairy that kind of thing um so i know some people that don't eat meat at all and um so person dependent life you know dependent when i <laughs> first you know after almost like 15 years of, of not eating meat when i went back to it uh, my wife joked she's like wow you don't even eat salad anymore you're just eating <laughs> meat every day uh -huh. <laughs> Because it was like this pendulum swing yeah. where my body, like, that's what it needed. I was so deficient mm -hmm. of what it was providing. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of, like, swung back around and kind of just find my balance. And, uh, again, more on that intuitive side. And just a kind of another little anecdote there. Uh, my wife was really into – she was researching this idea of eating insects, uh, of which many cultures all around the world do. And, and even ours, we uh, unknowingly consume a lot of insects. And this was actually the case with the Jains. So the Jains are this um, – very kind of strict religious sect coming out of India and they're the ones they'll, they'll wear a mask over their mouth so they don't accidentally inhale an insect. They'll sweep in front of them just so they don't accidentally step on anything. Their, their whole thing is like ahimsa, non-harming. And uh, when they, a number of them had moved, migrated over to England, they kept their same traditional diet, which is, you know, vegetarian, rice, uh, lentils, you know, that type of thing. And num quite a number of them became anemic. And so they're, well, what's going on? Like, we haven't changed our diet. Like, how come they're getting anemic? And a little bit further uh, investigation revealed that when they were back in India, um, eating that same diet, having moved to England, the, like the rice, the lentils, all that stuff was a lot cleaner, more polished. And in India, they might have, you know, had a number of bugs and larvae and things like that mixed in. And that was providing uh, key nutrients that they weren't getting in England in a cleaner, more kind of sanitary way. Wow, how interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, and there are peoples in the United States who definitely eat like crickets and stuff like that. It's like a real... That's yeah. a real thing. I mean, yeah, no, totally. And uh, what's interesting is like, well, they, there's such a cultural prejudice, right? Like, we'll look at other cultures and go like, ew, like you eat that, you eat yeah. tarantulas. And then they might look at us and go like, oh, you eat lobster, you know? Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This aquatic insect. <laughs> well, and you know, it's funny because if somebody were to be like, you know, eating spiders or eating crickets will make you lose weight or it'll make you, you know, younger or whatever, it would be people would be totally on board, you know? So it's interesting right. how we work. Yeah. <laughs> so 
So the, the main thing from this kingdom, obviously, we want um, animal foods from sources where those animals have been cared for. They've been, you know, fed their proper diet. And, you know, for us that are in nutrition, you know, like for me, it was like into this idea of whole foods. Yet, if you only eat, you know, like muscle meat, i.e. ground beef and chicken breast, like you're only eating certain parts and we need to eat, you know, the whole animal. Again, each part offers nutrients that the other part can't and it's it's a part of the deal of of nourishing ourselves so getting into the organs getting into the bones and the marrow and and all that wow and so how do you how would you approach that if you were to go i mean like do you go to the butcher and say you know i want some bone marrow i want some liver and some kidneys and then do you make a stew or do you kind of look up recipes? What would you, how would you eat those things? Do you yeah, just put it in a uh, smoothie? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, you, you actually you mentioned a really good resource, which is the Nourishing Traditions, uh, which is based off the work of Weston A. Price. Um, so there's a whole society of a group of people that are really exploring, you know, eating eating organs in, in different ways. So they have recipes and cookbooks. Um, but yeah, can come in, in, in all different kinds of forms, uh, like bone broth is a big kind of trend right now uh that's that's a good way to get some of those nutrients in so awesome awesome going to your local butcher oftentimes i mean the price is starting to increase a little bit but for a long time again industrialization of our food system like suddenly we had an abundance of meat and so people are like oh okay great i don't need to eat those entrails anymore Mm -hmm. you know like i'll just go for you know thighs or wings or Um, And so now as people are starting to kind of, so those became almost like waste products, uh, very cheap and expensive. And now as people are starting to realize their value uh, and farmers are getting asked for them, they're fetching a bit more of a market price for the bones, for the heart, for the liver. Awesome. Okay. Interesting. That's really good to know because that is part of the mindfulness process, I suppose, is even like ancestral eating, you know, we kind of like take this tradition and then we kind of make it fit into our lifestyle but it's not always the healthiest way to do it I mean I didn't really think about that but I guess if you know you're eating meat or people who are paleo and they just take all this you know ground beef and that's kind of what they eat but yeah there are other parts of the animal that in tradition and your ancestors they were using the whole animal and also as a spiritual thing as well because mm-hmm. it was a sacred animal and you were appreciating and, you know, it was an exchange of energy and stuff. So I think that's something that's kind of been lost a little bit as well is using the whole animal. Daniel Vitalis talks a lot about that, actually, is, you know, he hunts and then he is in connection with nature. So it's a way of interacting and connecting. And one of the things he talks about is really one of the reasons we're so disconnected from nature and the reason why we're pillaging so much of the earth is because we don't really interact with it anymore you know when we buy stuff from the grocery store there's no connection there's no interaction there's no relationship it's just here we go we buy the veggie or we buy the beef or whatever and we go home and eat it but there isn't really that exchange so i i like that i think that's a really good point for sure thank you yeah definitely so then you said there's also fungi and fermented foods 
Yeah, so fungi and bacteria. So fungi um, can and is a source of uh, nutrients, calories, vitamins, protein, etc. But it's also primarily been used as a, as, a, as a medicine source for a long, long time. There's a, a guy named Otsi the Iceman, and he's a specimen of, of a human that's been you know, the oldest, it's been the most well-preserved. I can't remember what the date, you know, how many hundreds, thousands of years it goes back uh, that we found him and we're able to observe, like, what did he have on him? Like, who was this guy? And uh, he had three different species of mushrooms on him and which is really interesting to just show, to go, you know, look how far back we've had this relationship with fungi and we've been using them. And so, again, traditional cultures and societies have used fungi as a form of medicine, and even today in our modern day and age, um, you know, even pharmaceuticals, a lot of them are sourced from fungi. You know, case in point, penicillin, <laughs> right, as, as an example. So that kingdom is is huge, it's massive. Science is just starting to kind of scratch the surface of exploring it. There's still so much that's untapped. I've spent time with some of the most like world-renowned mycologists, and they will be the first to admit that we barely know anything about the, the fungi kingdom. Uh, but what we do know is, is pretty amazing. It's pretty astounding. So there's all the way from like our single cell yeast, things that you can find in your basic like bread yeast, right? All the way to culinary mushrooms, things like white buttons, portobellos, uh, shiitakes, etc. Uh, all the way to our medicinal mushrooms and our polypores. So reishi mushroom, chaga mushroom, turkey tail, uh, you name it. There's lots and lots that's known about them and how amazing they are at supporting our, our immune health, mental health. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic field to, to get into and begin to explore. Um, then bacteria, which is where we kind of jumped into this conversation, those are our fermented foods, right? So these probiotics. And again, every culture around the world consumes fermented foods. Uh, a lot of the time, it might have started just as as kind of you know uh, that that necessity, right? Preservation of our food, but we also know that it helps increase flavor. So just even from an enjoyment standpoint. Um, you know, a lot of the foods, the delicacies, the things that we enjoy uh, are fermented and have an amazing flavor. And now we're beginning to kind of understand the health benefits of those foods. So, you know, bacteria, when we ferment a food, it helps, it breaks it down, it helps pre-digest it. A lot of, there's a lot of sensitivities and allergies to things like wheat and dairy. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that, but I think one of the reasons is we've never just consumed pasteurized dairy. We've never consumed, you know, uh, just wheat flour. It's always gone through this process where it's been pre-digested, broken down by bacteria, and then we consume it and it's a lot easier for us to assimilate. So mm -hmm. sourdough bread, right? A lot of people can do uh, sourdough bread better than they can just regular wheat. Again, there's more factors to the that um, same with dairy, you know, or a glass of pasteurized milk versus cultured milk, uh, like into yogurt or into cheese can be a lot friendlier on people's system. So helps pre-digest our food, uh, easier to assimilate, to digest. We also know that 
We have our own microbiome of which uh, we get initially when we are uh, first inherit from our mother as we kind of pass down the, the birth canal and from that and from a breast milk. Uh, but it also comes, you know, daily from the foods that we consume and having a diversity of fermented foods in our diet brings a diversity of, uh, of that inner ecology um, inside and out. We're covered head to toe uh, with bacteria. And so far for most of us, most of our lives, it's been this war on bacteria, right? Antibacterial, pasteurization, yeah. everything. And now there's this been this flip of like, okay, wait a minute, let's, let's bring in and, and invite in those good friendly bacteria. Of course, we want to, you know, eliminate pathogens and try and reduce uh, the amount of bad bacteria in our life. But we're far better to uh, focus on bringing in those good bacteria, the probiotics. Do you um, think probiotics are good to take in addition to eating fermented foods? Or do you think that fermented foods can kind of cover all the basis? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always times and places, uh, depending where, where people are at, where the addition of a really good, uh, well-sourced probiotic can be helpful and in a capsule form. But I think ultimately, uh, from food is is the best way to go. Mm -hmm. If we can, you know, start off with that, you know, have it every day or, you know, some sort of uh, living raw uh, ferment in, in even throughout the week, then uh, we, we stand a good, good chance there and is the best way way to go. Should that be eaten like fermented foods on an empty stomach or is it better with food or is it kind of not really matter? Yeah, I think it just depends on, on what you're consuming. Uh, very often, if you look or again around the world at different cultures, these fermented foods were, were condiments. They were additions to the meal. Like mm -hmm. so sauerkraut was on the side. Uh, miso was added or umeboshi plum or, you know, whatever it is. Um, even things like ketchup and Worcestershire sauce. A lot of things uh, that we know of like hot sauces, a lot of those would have been fermented and high amount of enzymes, high amount of bacteria that almost would have, you know, helped with the uh, digestion of the whole meal. Uh, we also have things, a lot of fermented beverages, of course, our beers, our wines, uh, kombuchas, water kefirs, those types of things um, can be consumed along with the meal. Uh, often find that, you know, let's, you know, fermented foods, even like a kombucha can be great on an empty stomach or even the day after, like you have a big meal, maybe you're, you know, still feeling a little heavy from that. Uh, something like that is, is very refreshing and, and can kind of help just kind of clear and reset the digestive system. And, and then what about, um, so we talked a little bit about the fungi and how would you decide as far as intuition, what would be um, the right because, you know, it'd be great if you can take them all, but that's not really realistic. And so how would you choose what fungi, um, especially as far as medicinal mushrooms, how would you choose which ones to take? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of kind of comes back to um, herbalism in that sense where you can look at uh, traditions and, you know, within Chinese herbs, there's thousands of herbs. Well, within that system, they have you know, uh, I believe it's about 70 or so, which they call their superior or tonic herbs. Great place to start. Why not start at number one, two or three, right? The ones that are kind of the most revered, the most used, something like reishi mushroom, which is a fungi, which is considered a herb in that system. That'd be a great place to start. So when you're looking at the world of medicinal mushrooms, I would, I would do uh, similarly, right? Is look at somewhere, what are the, the most kind of researched, the most touted, uh, as well as maybe 
what else grows in your area and you can start to uh, begin to find those. And this brings back to that point you're talking about of kind of reconnecting with the land, reconnecting with your food, um, getting into herbalism, getting into mushrooms is a fantastic, fantastic way to be able to do that. Uh, you know, you're out on a hike and you start to kind of look at the landscape a little bit different and interact with some of the organisms that are out there, some of which can be used for food and for medicine. Absolutely. Well, to finish up, I have um, a question that I like to ask every one of my guests, um, which is what is your favorite longevity or anti-aging biohack? It can be supplemental, technological, nutritional, spiritual, whatever one is your favorite or the most powerful thing that you think. All right. Hmm. Well, I think um, I'm going to have to go with a daily tea, whatever that tea is, some sort of herbal tea, mushroom tea. Um, I mean, it's so, so vast, like what you can choose. You can choose the humble chamomile, right? I mean, uh, I have a herbalist friend that that is literally his favorite herb. I mean, of, of the thousands he could choose from, he loves chamomile. And he says it's actually, it's a very underrated herb. Uh, it's incredibly antiviral. Uh, we know, of course, that it's nice, it's good, it's calming, it's relaxing. The world of herbs is a chance for you to uh, just to, to explore, to play, and really find something that, that you need in the moment, right? Maybe it's, oh, I need to like kind of de-stress out, or maybe it's, I need to pick up my energy or boost my immune system. You know, using herbal teas uh, in that way is fantastic. And if you want to take it just a step further, uh, do what I call elixir crafting. So elixirs are bringing together a herbal base along with kind of like a smoothie. To me, they bring together, you know, the best in uh, modern nutrition with ancient herbal wisdom. So it's your food and medicine in one uh, delivery system and the elixirs are I don't want to call them a trend because I think they're they're around to stay but they're definitely increasing in uh, in their popularity and people are getting turned on to them because they're amazing they're they're that perfect delivery system for for food and medicine and it's you you can customize it to to whatever you need or want for the day awesome well I do want to mention you came out with a book it's called Elixir Life, Modern Nutrition Meets Ancient Herbal Wisdom. Where can people find your book? All right. Well, currently, you have to go to thelightseller.ca. That's uh, L-I-G-H-T-C-E-L-L-A-R.ca. And just look under uh, Elixir Life. We have the recipe book there, uh, 30 different recipes, hot, cold, sweet, savory, you name it. Um, as well as the whole kind of philosophy behind how to craft elixirs a little bit that we've been touching upon today as well, just kind of reclaiming our health and our relationship to food. And uh, it's a fantastic book for anyone wanting to, to, to go deeper. Eventually, I will have it on Amazon, but I can't say that yet because it's not up there. So, but <laughs> Awesome. And then how can people connect with you? Where can people find you? Yeah, for sure. So thelightseller.ca is is kind of the main website. You can also find me on Instagram at the Malchemist, M-A-L-C-H-E-M-I-S-T, uh, as well as Facebook, Malcolm Saunders. Awesome. Well, thank you, Malcolm, for joining us today. I hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. Thanks All a lot right. for having me on. Thanks for those tuning in. Thanks, Malcolm. Thank you so much for listening to the show. It was so fun to have the opportunity to talk about intuition with Malcolm, especially because for a lot of us, we've learned so many things about food and eating that takes us away from our intuition. 
Since this interview, I've been putting more emphasis on mindfulness when eating and trying to really feel what my body is telling me. I want to ask you to share this episode with a friend, or two, or three, and please subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating. It's super easy. Just scroll down to the bottom right, click on those little dots, and you will see Leave a Review. Please tune into the next show, episode four, with Christina Robin McMillan. We will be discussing adventure seeking, the role of fun and beauty, and biohacking your travel protocol. Have a beautiful week. (music) 